Hello, beautiful people. Quick question. Have you ever thought to yourself, I've been passed up for a promotion, but I don't understand why? Or I want to change in my career, but where do I even begin? We know we're not the only ones that have had these questions. And that's why we started this podcast. It's called Career Gems for the Journey. And we hope that as you listen, you'll discover some gems for your career journey. I'm Leah Murphy, and I wear many hats. I'll tell you about three of them. I'm an engineer by trade, a career coach, and an entrepreneur, all while working to stay happily married and raise three children. And my name is Alma Gordon. I'm a brand marketer, entrepreneur, and serial passion pursuer with a business approach to my endeavors, but always with a creative spin. And we're two really great friends that have supported one another throughout our professional careers. I mean, we've been through it all, and we're here to share some authentic stories, key successes, and setbacks. You're not going to want to miss this. Right. Hello, 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 beautiful people, and welcome to another segment that Meshach and I have been hosting and really getting a chance to learn a ton about expertise from talented people that we've been able to bring on the platform and also getting to spend a lot more time talking to our early career development folks, right? So we're talking about secrets to career success, and it's been amazing. I don't know what you feel, but I'm a little like sad, like heart emoji <laughs> that, it, that it's coming heart, what to was it do it again? What, what were you? No. Show me again. <laughs> no. No. Never mind. I'm All right. Sad. Fine. I'm, just... I'm. I'm. I'm sad too. <laughs> just, just for you. Um, no. Look. It, it's been. It's been uh, really cool to to go through this journey from you know kind of ideating you know something that we thought could create value to you know every episode you know evolving. You know the guests and and you know Mel is no 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 short of that. Continue to be better and and the conversations become more in depth and. I'm especially excited for this conversation because we are right in the middle of development season. Um, really, really excited. Going to give it back to you, Leah, to be able to uh, introduce uh, the topic and the guests. Yeah. So you guys may know me from being out in the LinkedIn streets. My name is Leah Murphy. I am the founder of Career Gems for the Journey, where we help talented professionals build thriving careers. And my co-host here, Mishet Cleary, has been riding with me on the Secrets to Career Success. And this week we have brought in the amazing and very talented Melva Holt, founder and CEO of Pays Leadership. And Melva is going to introduce herself and she's also going to give you guys some real Secrets to Career Success. And I'm going to preface this because it's really important to me. First, I don't know how many people have had a chance to have a like off the books conversation with an HR professional. Like a lot of times you, you know, you think of HR as these people who are removed from the business and, you know, they're focused on something and you're focused on something else. But I'm here to tell you that Melva is not that kind of HR professional, nor is she that kind of CEO. So after years of us having an opportunity to work together in manufacturing locations as two very black, very, um, very fun, right? Very bright colored black and brown women in these environments, I've gotten to work with her and collaborate with her and allow her to share her gems with this audience is simply amazing. Um, but the reason why we really wanted to bring Melva on the platform today, and I am going to stop speaking as soon as I mute my mic, because Melva is going to give us some fire, right? And the real fire is around, Mishak mentioned, it's mid-year season for companies that operate on in a traditional calendar basis, which I've never worked for one of those companies, but I hear they exist. 
um, and they do performance reviews, essentially this is the time where you're getting really important feedback, right? Feedback about how you're performing currently in this year, and it should be giving you some advice on how to close out the back end of your year really strong. And people who do a good job at managing a total performance management process, um, people like Melva, will be giving you that feedback and then you'll have action items and you'll also have some strategies to think about what you want to do in your next role, right? There'll be a little bit of stretch goals or stretch opportunities that get discussed. So Melva, let's, I think we jumped far and started talking about performance reviews, right? Let's give us a little bit of an insight of what the back end, if someone is new coming into a company and they're thinking, okay, well, what, what should I expect from feedback from my manager? How often should I anticipate it? And tell us a little bit more about the performance management process, kind of in a really general, maybe big Fortune 500 company idea. Yeah, thank you for starting there, um, Leah. And I recognize I never actually gave you guys who I am a little bit, so I'll leave that into as I address that question. So um, I, I had a an 18 year career within corporate America um, across um, working in operations, engineering and HR. The bulk of that was you know, HR related. 14 years of that time was HR related over the course of my career. And so I've been privy um, to seeing a lot of performance management cycles, both from the employee side, but also running and leading the performance management cycle as well for, um, for companies. And each company may do it a little bit different, right? So the last five years, we've seen a lot of articles, heard a lot of conversation about, is an annual review enough? A lot of companies moving away from that, going to quarterly kind of um, data points, check-ins or reviews, um, doing away with rating systems or not. But at the heart of whatever your company is doing, there is some kind of cycle that they're asking you to go through really some key points. One, how do you set objectives, right? So what are the, the expectations for you over whatever that period of time is, whether that's annually, um, quarterly, however your company does it. Um, and then what is the feedback loop for you and for the company? And so the performance management cycle is really just set up. So there's clear expectations and then there's feedback and then, you know, some type of rating or assessment of how you did against those those expectations. Um, and so it's a really important process because if you are not going through through this, if you aren't setting expectations, somebody's not giving you a list of goals or you're not coming up with them, then what are you doing? What is happening, right? That means you're just showing up and you're just bumping along and anything can happen, right? But you're likely not in a place of control for your career because you are just kind of taking whatever's happening as it comes to you. And Melva, talk about the money part. If you are not getting objective, if it's not clear, if you're not being measured, what does that mean for your compensation? Well, oh goodness, this is a loaded question. Right, so. <laughs> you set her up. I did, I did. I did. I want people not to think of this performance management as like, oh, it's something my manager is doing and it doesn't really matter to me, right? If it happens, if it doesn't happen, you know, kind of shoulder shrug because it ties to something that's really important. Um, and I want to make sure that folks get that and take that away from this experience today. So, um, Melba, you don't have to give them the full breath, but like 
if they're not getting performance managed, if they don't know what's happening, what is the impact to their compensation? So let me just say, if you are, if you're in a professional level role and you say, well, I'm not really going through the process, something is still happening, whether you know it or not. Mm. someone's okay. talking about your performance at some point um, and if no is one is talking about your performance that's that's probably pretty bad as well right it, right if nobody's talking about your performance that means i call that hiding mm -hmm. like you're meddling you're you're not standing out nor are you doing poorly you just kind of mm -hmm. mm -hmm. let me do my thing come in here i don't want anybody to know i'm not gonna make any waves <laughs> i'm not raising my hand for things i'm not you know, making myself stand out any way, shape or form. But if you are a professional within an organization, somebody that performance management is happening in some way, shape or form. And I, I qualify it with if you're a professional, because, you know, if you're working and you're in an, you know, non-exempt or hourly capacity, it can it can look very differently. Right. And so I, I just want to draw that distinction. Um, some companies, your compensation is impacted in, a, in, let's say, a handful of ways. Base salary is the way that we like to think about it, right? That's usually the first thing that comes to mind for most people when you start talking about your compensation. Companies for a long time have tied performance to your increases, your merit increases, if your company uses that term. You know, that means that performance is a factor within what they're doing. Otherwise, they're going to call it like a cost of living raise or something like that. Um, standard of living increase. Um, so if you're hearing the word merit, that lets you know right then and there. Somebody's <laughs> talking about your performance as they're determining that. Now, I will, I will be frank with you. There are companies where the range for merit increases are so small that may not seem like it means much to you. But when it comes to bonus money, your company is in some type of bonus program, then your performance against um, expectations can mean a lot, be a lot more meaningful to your bonus payout. It can make a lot if they're giving out stock or any kind of other kind of long-term compensation incentives, then they're looking at people who have higher performance, right? Who are meeting some kind of level that they want to be able to reward for the year. So it's something that goes to follow your compensation a lot. It also impacts when you're talking about moving internally within the company, right? You apply for that job to move to another department or to move to another team. One of the first questions that's going to get asked is, well, how are they as a performer, right? Mm. Okay. You can tell me how they are as a performer. Let me see their past ratings as well. Let me see previous um, reports. And that's, you know, I would say that's a, I've done it myself because I want to see what people put on paper. <laughs> Especially if somebody like when I've been a, a leader of a team and somebody says, oh, this person's going to be great. I want you to take them, you know, and they're advocating really hard. I start getting this little antenna up that's like, OK, so what is really no, going no, on here? No one's ever this generous. On <laughs> 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 my birthday. <laughs> right. So if they're going too hard, then I'm like, hmm, okay, well, that's great. Like, I, it may be face value, but show mm -hmm. me as well. Like, show me what you've been writing and what you've delivered to the person as well, because I want to see receipts, if you will, to what you're telling me. So that performance rating, the performance management process is something that 
you really want to be very active in it. Like you don't want to sit by the wayside and just kind of let it happen to you, right? You want to be actively involved with what's happening. And so what is being active one of those like? critical parts. Yeah. What does being what active is being look act- like? What's what's uh, kind of top three things that 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 folks can do to make sure that they're actively navigating their performance review and how far in advance to the meeting should they be thinking about these things? Well, I think it starts right from the the setting of the goals and expectations, Uh, right? So when it comes down to that part of the process, right? Because that's what you're going to be measured against, mm -hmm. (laughs) whether it's quarterly, mid-year or end of year, those goals, those expectations are what you're going to be measured against. So on those goals, before, don't lose the next thought. Sorry, I'm going to keep interrupting you, um, but I'm going to (laughs) apologize in advance and kick me under the table if it's too much. <laughs> so so on the goals and setting good goals, talk about how many are a good amount of goals, like what's too many, um, what, what, what should those goals look like to make sure that they're good, thoughtful goals? Um, how, how do you make sure that your goals are set effectively? Who should set them? Should it be the manager or the employee? Like, how do you think about that? What have you seen be effective? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a process that should be co-owned by the organization as well as you as a, as a person. And this is a perfect lead into where I was going anywhere, yeah. Meshach, so thank you for that. <laughs> but I think it should be, you obviously have to understand what the organization is doing, right? And what is the role that you play within the organization and helping the organization reach those goals. You also should be actively, right? If there are things that you want to be doing, right? That maybe your manager wouldn't naturally be, that's where you're raising your hand. You're now, nav- you know, um, navigating the conversation so that you can actually be put on those projects or have a different type of role than maybe you would have if you weren't standing up for yourself within that. It's also important for, you know, think about your development opportunities. So if you're looking to grow, if you're trying to get promoted and you continue to get some feedback that, oh, you don't have people leadership experience and that next role requires you to have some kind of people leadership experience. Okay, do you have interns? Do you have co-ops? Is there, you know, an admin? Who can you be stepping in to, you know, manage? Or, you know, even if it's not a full team, but it starts to give you some of that experience. And so that's where you need to bring that for. You can't rely on your manager to come with all the ideas of how you're going to grow in that way either. In my perspective, it should be a collaborative process. Here's what the organization needs. Here's what your role requires. And then let's talk about what you need, you know, and what you're looking for in your development. The other thing that I really, really um, encourage people to do, especially because the three of us here are brown on this call and, you know, we get involved with our ERGs, we get involved with all these other things um, that are not necessarily our job. You need to make sure that those things end up as something that are on your goals and expectations for the year as well. Can you say more about that? Say more about why. <laughs> I see Leah's hand. <laughs> I, think, I, think Leah, I think Leah wants her voice to be heard before she falls out. Go for it. Yeah, I'm going to try here. And my, uh, just disclaimer, my internet is in a little bit sketchy. So if it goes out, I'm just going to quit. But I personally had an experience and I actually wrote a LinkedIn post recently around my experience in leading non-promotable tasks. And Melva is probably going to go deeper into this. Doing work that's non-promotable, that doesn't align with your objectives or doesn't align with the company priorities, it can feel good and you can be the go-to person and it can be really exciting. You're building community and that's great, but it could also impact your career in a negative way. 
And I think that there's a misconception that, okay, my manager knows I'm doing it, so they're going to acknowledge it. The two do not necessarily align. They can be very aware that you're doing these things and you're adding value to the culture of the organization, or you're mentoring someone else in the organization, or you're giving another team a hand. And that could be acknowledged as you're a great person, but it doesn't necessarily meet your objectives. And I just personally, I don't feel like that kind of gets discussed enough, especially with black and brown people, right? It's like, you know, don't be the first one to reach to grab the menu to help the team order lunch, right? Those are non-promotable tasks often. So some, there's some questions that you have to ask when you volunteer and you give your time to things. Is this something that's actually going to help me meet my objectives? Does my manager see these as value-added activities for me to participate in? So that's why I wanted to raise my hand, Melva, only because I we just had a really robust conversation about it on LinkedIn on my page. And for anybody who's watching, you know, just scroll back into some recent posts because it got a lot of people talking. It was tremendously shared. I think it was the most popular post that I've done. Almost like 30,000 um, people engaged with that post. So it's a real thing. So I would love to hear your perspective on, you know, kind of the non-promotable tasks and the risk um, that comes along with that from a performance review standpoint. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that experience, Leah. And I'm not surprised to hear that it got so much activity. Um, so I, I say it because you want to get credit for that. And, you know, there's a difference between, you know, hey, I'm going to play the team rah-rah, right? <laughs> the culture, the culture person for the team and doing some things of that nature versus like when you're actually stepping into really, I call them business meaningful roles that they ask for volunteers are you the you know are you the president of the erg and with that comes all these things that you need to be doing planning right and the success of the erg depends on it and the company's really not going to like it if it doesn't you know if it's not looking right if you do something that's not up to par um and you still have a full-time job to do. I had a conversation with someone coaching them earlier this year around this very thing. Great managers will account for that. They'll recognize it, they'll account for it, and they will encourage you to be um, factoring that into your performance review. But not, you know, I don't know where we are right now in 2022, but my experience has been not a lot. Um, lean into that. That's not the place that they come from when they're talking about that ERG experience. They don't, they see it as something nice, but you're getting visibility, you're getting leadership skills. It is very meaningful leadership activity and experience that you're getting that you should be able to count and use when you're looking at being promoted for other roles or considered mm -hmm. for other roles within your organization. And so- I absolutely agree with you. That's why I'm such a big, big, big stickler, especially if you're taking, if you're, this is like the stuff that can start after hours. You spend your evenings doing this or you do it, you know, you have a couple hours during the day that you have to take away, but then you're doing your work at night. Mm -hmm. It can be a full-time job, right? So if somebody could actually take and do that work and they would have a full-time job, make sure you're getting credit for that. I think, that's a, I think that's a great perspective. I appreciate you sharing that and I appreciate you being so, you know, detailed and specific about it. And, and, and Lee, I appreciate the example as well. You know, one of, I wanted, what I was going to add to, to Leah's point, I think it, it lines up with what you said as well, Melvin, is, you know, look, you, you do want to think about what you're, that you're getting credit for value, those things. Um, but even setting those things aside, um, I think you really want to start with 
do I enjoy this? Um, is it meaningful to me? Am I going to learn from it? Am I going to grow from it? Right. It's like, how does this serve me in a way that only I can control? You know, what am, what am I going to actively get out of it? And then I think you also should make sure that you're getting what you deserve, right? To your point, the, the credit or the conversation, whatever those things are. But I would all, all actually encourage, start with the things that are 100% of your control, which is, do I like this type of work? Am I passionate about it? You know, is this a way that I see as an opportunity to grow in a way that I would say is because it's volunteer work, it's kind of like, okay, do your best. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it also sort of serves as an opportunity for those things also, but I appreciate that perspective. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and like I said, it depends on there's varying roles within it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if you're just going to the development activities, that's a very different <laughs> proposition for your, your performance review that like you're actually leading an organization of 200 people within your organization or whatever yeah. the number is. To, to that point, the other thing that I kind of thought of is as you as you think about those, you know, what we call kind of non-promotable tasks, <clears throat> but, but you know, again, thinking about them as potential development tasks, in many of the performance, you know, reviews and in the, and in the talent management systems, you could talk to this more, there's also this developmental piece of it where you have some opportunities to say, these are some things that I want to go do to build skills and develop. Can you talk about that part of the process also? And, and is this a potential way for you to write some of those things in as part of your plan around development? Absolutely. And, and when it comes to kind of in the expectation goal setting period time, that's where I talked about you, it should be collaborative so mm -hmm. that you can bring forward those development things that you want to do, right? And where you want to learn and how you're going to approach it for the year. I encourage some companies do an individual development plan or IDP process, right? And it's focused purely on what do you want to develop and how you, you know, go about doing that. One frustration I've seen with that in my past life is that if you have these amazing things that you're putting onto your individual development plan, they can seem tack on, right? They're not integrated into your goals for the year then it still feels like it's extraneous mm -hmm. activity that you're doing off to the side, whether yeah. that's with an ERG as an employee resource group, whether that's with your employee resource group, or if it's, you know, some learning that you're deciding to take on, or maybe it's volunteering on a board so that you can learn a different type of skill and put that to use. It can still feel very different, very disconnected if you're not actively trying to find a way to bring that into your goal setting for the year. To, to that point, Melva, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's folks that go through goals setting processes every year who maybe have a feeling of it just doesn't feel like, you know, in the sense of smart goals, you know, things that are attainable or, you know, it doesn't feel like this does feel like a lot. I've got 10 goals on my, you know, my list and, and I've, I've heard the advice of three to five. How do you have that conversation with your leader in a way that doesn't seem like you're trying to shed work? Um, but you're actually able to advocate for yourself. Yeah, thank you for asking that. I'll, I'll tell you, I've been a bit torn about this one over the course of, of my career, and I'll tell you why. The idea of having three to five goals sounds great. It sounds nice. And, you know, like, okay, yeah, that, that feels right. Nobody's job was scoped for three to five goals. When, when the job was created, hey, we need somebody here, it was not about oh, well, I need them to knock out these three to five things, right? So in my mind, it's kind of this combination of both. There's the work that you do, and then 
what is it that stands out above and beyond? When you talk about the especially impactful work that you're going to do for the year, then I do think it should be like no more than three. And depending on how large of a project you have on your plate, it may be no more than one and done really, really well. And so there's the job and then there's the goals. <laughs> there's the impactful work that's going to change or shift the organization in a meaningful way. So that's yeah. the way I like to think about it. I think that makes sense. And I guess when I think about those goals, I, I do think about like those big impactful three to five ones that you know, ultimately, you know, should be the majority of what you measure because you've, you've got a job description or you've got, you know, tasks and things that you're accountable for on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. And then there's some things that you're saying, hey, look, you know, do your job, but these are some things I want to accomplish um, over the next calendar year. So I kind of think about that narrow few of them, but but whether whether the number is, is one or another, part of what I'm trying to get insight into is like, how do you have the conversation when there's a disconnect between what a leader is expecting and what you believe is reasonable, right? That you've got confidence that you could achieve or or even, you know, stretch it. Like, how do you actually navigate that conversation? So I saw Leah's head start to bob too um, within that one. Goals should be cascaded down, okay, from the organization. The company should know what's happening, what they're going after for the fiscal year. That cascades down to each leader, their departments, all those things. So depending on where you sit in the organization will depend on when your cascade comes, right? <laughs> when it hits your hits your desk. From there, right? What the company has described as imperatives for the year and what they're trying to get at, right? It's a direct, and I'm thinking about this from a strategic leader role, especially. You, what you're going to do to help the organization reach those things can start to look pretty specific. right? They can start to look pretty specific. And so if you disagree with something that has come down from the corporate trickle down of the goals, that's a sensitive conversation. Should you have it? Yes. One, because you want to be bought in and understand exactly the why and what the impact is going to be. And then so you can find some way to kind of rally and get excited about what you've got to do. But that doesn't mean that you're going to get to change all those things, Mm -hmm. which I like my brain is racing so many ways, right? Which brings me to this like place of of a tangent, right? Of like, so if you're early career, you may not like everything that you do. You're learning skills. You're learning what you like to do. You may not know your passion. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what my passion was. It took me probably four years to the first time I thought I figured it out. Fast forward another 10 for the next crisis, as I call it, right? You don't always know what you want to do. And so saying, hey, I don't want to do that. I can tell you right now, I like right now, I'm actually later today talking to a leader that I work for. And I was at a point in my career and I said, I will do any job except for this one. Well, tell me why. And I shared why. And then I had to go do that job. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, what what Melva is saying, right? And like the perfect like HR translation is follow the money, right? Companies decide their priorities based on money, based on bottom line, right? Based on earnings, based on cost of goods, right? Based on EBITDA, right? All kinds of complex financial management. But at the end of the day, follow the money. The company is looking to make more money for its shareholders. And that money should in some way come to its employees in some kind of an incentive. But 
when she says cascade down, and I was like, oof, that that definitely sent a shiver, <laughs> right? <laughs> cascade down because if the money is being made in the organization based on certain key things, if you're in a manufacturing environment on making more product, if you're in a financial services environment on selling more financial products, if you understand how your job as the employee impacts the company making more money, your objectives should really be anchored there. And if you're feeling like you have objectives that may not be tied to the company making money, saving money, mm-hmm. or or one of those two things, then it's an appropriate conversation to have with your manager to say, how do my goals and objectives directly relate to the company's bottom line and what their biggest priorities are? And that's just a healthy conversation. Um, so I think what Meshach was saying is, how do you approach some of this? If you're confused or you feel like your goals may be misaligned, then you just need to understand better how your goals and objectives actually impact the bottom line, because that's where you add value. And that's why people care. If you're working on things that don't matter to the bottom line, no one cares. And that's, that's a harsh, it's ugly, right? It feels, it feels itchy to say, but no one cares. It doesn't mean also that someone will stop you from doing that work. They may allow you to continue to do it, but it won't get you promoted. It won't get you that great special assignment. It won't get you, you know, acknowledged from the stage at the town hall. So if you're looking for those things in your career, your work has to be tied to the bottom line and how the company makes money. There's two parts to, to really maximizing this, you know, performance management and, and um and, and planning sessions one is you know the person receiving the goals and objectives and, and being measured and the other one as we talked about is the one delivering it so you know help me give give some perspective and incentives on how some of these people leaders and some of them might be newer people leaders or maybe their their organizations are growing you know how can they be thoughtful about um adding value to the performance process and what are some things that they should be thinking about in their organization through this process well it's a process which means that there's multiple steps. <laughs> like so they they should be providing feedback, positive and constructive throughout the year. Not reserved for the quarterly review, not reserved for the mid-year review, not reserved for the annual review. Melville, you're there too should cool. not you're be too surprised. Cool. You got you have to you have to say it again. You said it too subtly, you said it too cool. You got it. You have to underscore that point. So talk about that some more. You're way too cool, Mama. (laughs) Feedback should be given all year long. I'm a strong believer that there should not be surprises when you come to whatever the end of your actual measurement cycle is. Now, I do recognize that I've seen this, I had this happen, especially in my early days. And so I, I personally, as a leader, have tried to make sure I do, you know, don't do this. You give somebody some feedback as a leader, they they take it, they're working on it, they internalize it, you, it feels like you're, you're doing good. And then you get to the end of year performance review and you say it again and they're like, what? Right, because now they recognize it's that impacted was the money, right? <laughs> Oh, that matters, the money or matters. the bonus or oh, the whatever, right? And it's like, yeah, ah, right? And so it's not lack of, but I helping people understand what you're saying and then what that means for the team, for the organization, to them personally, right? Hey, you're, you want to be promoted? This is a specific skill that, you know, I need to see you develop. And until we see you know, X, Y, and Z, we're not going to be able to promote you. And so managers are not that great at giving 
that type of feedback to that level, right? That that's why I have a whole boutique firm focused mm -hmm. on it, right? <laughs> I recognize that there are some that do a great job of that. There are others who who really struggle within that. However, as the employee, you can push and you can ask. I it takes me back to it was my first HR role in my career, so many, many, many years ago. And I had the sweetest manager, um, sweetest manager. She, we were sitting for our one-on-one -on -one meeting and I could see her face like starting to get a little, like it was puzzling and she was starting to dance around her words. And I'm like, okay, what are we about to say here? And I was like, you know, I just kind of said to her, just say it. I'm, I'm good. I've got tough skin. I don't know what you're struggling to say, but just say it. And she did you know, without kind of sugarcoating because you haven't figured out a way to sugarcoat it. And after she said it, I said, well, I've gotten that feedback since I was like six. Like, <laughs> you really don't need to spend that much time. Like, I know that about myself. And so thank you for letting me know it still exists. But like literally every part mm -hmm. of my life, I know that about me. Mm -hmm. Right. And we had a good laugh about that moment. And not The point being is like, you can create the environment to help your managers know it's safe for you to receive feedback. Because usually what people are afraid of, it's no different than any kind of conflict situation. They're afraid of what the reaction is going to be and what the fallout's going to be to if they actually tell you what they're thinking. And so there are people who say, yeah, tell me, right? And then it, it's fireworks. <laughs> okay. They go, it's yeah. fireworks. Now yeah. it's a whole issue, right? If you tell somebody, to please give me that tough feedback and you react in that way, you have shut that, you've shut that down for yourself. That's a great point. I think that's a great perspective. And, and, you know, look, I think that that perspective to your point, you know, I want to keep looking at this from both sides. And it's actually something that, that Ali and I talked about kind of coming into this series is knowing that we've got audiences both on, you know, who can get value from this and both who can make, you know, the environment um, more effective, make, make the process more effective you know, for a lot of folks within the organization. And that story that you shared, you know, also tells me that, you know, you, you had to have enough, you know, to sort of self-confidence, enough awareness to be able to say that. And that's not necessarily, that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the expectation more than the leader being able to give you the right feedback. That's what the leader's paid to do, right? And so to your point, you can't limit your growth because a leader's falling short of what their expectations are of you as a leader. But for the leaders out there, you, you gotta understand that you don't have a lot of Melvis on you. And, mm -hmm. and, there's, and, there's, and there's folks that, that are gonna allow you to have let that discomfort pass and water down feedback that you think was effective, but it wasn't really effective because you weren't comfortable enough having a direct conversation about, about some of those things. And so I think that that's, that's something I think is important to provide perspective on. And, you know, a, a friend of mine gave me a perspective, some, you know, some years ago, particularly that I think is applicable in this space and in, in, in um, corporate America. And this is idea of, you know, the impact that that lack of, I'll say, you know, good, you know, coaching and leadership has on the more marginalized folks within an organization that are less like you, that, you know, your instincts don't necessarily apply to in the same ways. I'm talking to two Black women in this LinkedIn Live who were likely in many environments where you were you were you represented the marginalized, most marginalized group within those environments, and you know I, I'd love to just hear a perspective from you guys on you know, did you you know what were those experiences like? Were you, you know did you did you feel like ah, I didn't matter, no big deal, I got what I needed, or you know I think this is an opportunity you know for again folks who 
maybe are sitting in seats like yours, um, who come from places like you guys come from, and folks who, you know, were sit are sitting in the seats of those leaders with the benefit of your hindsight, you know, what, what type of yeah. perspective would you provide? Yeah, I think I, I would give two things. First, I think Melva's point on managers getting comfortable getting feedback, giving feedback consistently all year round is epic. If you are a manager today and you are not very intentionally working with your team via their performance, seeing what, how, what they're doing well and what they have opportunities on and dialoguing consistently with them, monthly is my recommendation especially for folks who have you know larger teams and you can't touch them more frequently at least touching them monthly so they're, they're getting feedback and that no surprises on the performance review it's such a simple statement but it's very very critical to build trust and like the manager employee relationship is based on this assumption that the manager has the best interest of their employees in mind and that requires trust so i didn't want to let that go by and then the other comment that I wanted to make um, to answer your question here, Meshach, is feedback for me, I had to evolve in my thinking early on, um, someone who had been a very much an overachiever, right, there in their academic career, you know, so I was used to doing well, like I was like, oh, I'm dope, no worries, like I'm good, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to talk to the right people, you know, I like to work with people and collaborate so I can, you know, I'm going to always carry my weight and I'm always going to go the extra mile, right? But then when you get into a work environment and now it's based on a very clear set of criteria that are different from what college was or maybe different from your internship, now you have to get clear on what you're being measured on. And that was the part for me that took me to the next level. So maybe my first two performance reviews, they would come back and say, you know, you're doing okay. And I'm like, well, what do you mean I'm doing okay? I have all of this greatness that I'm participating in. And they're like, that greatness does not align to your objectives, sis. We don't care about this other stuff that you're doing. It's cool, but we don't care. Here's what we really care about. So then once I understood what I was being measured against, then I could prioritize my time right? Then I can make choices based on what I was being measured against. And I'll tell you that some of those conversations that I had with managers, they were to totally uncomfortable to tell me that I should reprioritize my time. And I needed someone to tell me that. And, the, and I'll, I'll tee it off to you, Melva, after this. When I started bringing in other perspective, sponsors, mentors, other cross-functional partners, and getting feedback from more than just one source and my manager, who is you know, may or may not be confident or qualified to give me appropriate feedback, then when you make it just one person, you're limited. When you broaden your horizons and other people can say like, yeah, you killed it, but you really didn't show up well in that meeting. It's very, really, very, very important that you broaden that feedback loop. And I treat feedback like trying on shoes, right? I buy a new pair of shoes at the store. I show up there. I walk around at the store. They feel okay. I come home. I try them on again. Uh, it doesn't really work. I'm going to send it back. All feedback does not need to go with me permanently, right? And stay with me. But sometimes they do. So try it on, roll around in it for a little bit, see if it actually helps you meet your objective. And if it does, then you keep it. If it doesn't, then you put it back in the box and you return it. And that's it, right? But getting feedback from a broad group of people for me was a really, really major game changer. And Melva, I'd love to hear what your perspective is um, if you have a manager who's not as great at giving feedback, what are some things folks can do to make sure that they don't lose out on their development because they're working with a manager that is not, hasn't gone through the PACE leadership program? 
Did you freestyle that analogy, Leah? Was I did. Oh, oh no, the shoe. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Come on. The Come shoes on. is real. No, the shoes Come is real. On, I, that's a real life. I use that with my clients all the time. It it is so lame, but true. I take it as a gift for a couple of reasons. It doesn't mean that everything that somebody gives has given me as feedback, I have to take and live with it, but it helps me understand where they are when it comes to me. It gives me a snapshot to where they're thinking, how they're processing, how they're receiving me. And I get to make a decision on, do I like that? Do I want to change that? Or is it just a data point on how I need to treat that relationship going forward? So Another I, great I analogy. At, <laughs> so I take all feedback. I'm like, sometimes it's a nugget. I don't like it, but it doesn't make it untrue sometimes of <laughs> what it is. And I have to make a decision on whether I want to do something with that or not, because I strongly believe, and this is just life choices now, everything is a choice. Even making a decision not to do something is a choice. And so we have to step and live and breathe and own the choices that we've made. So, so I'll get back on topic here around. No, what that do was you right do? on topic. That was right <laughs> on topic. And, and we had, we had a conversation around, um, uh, around calculated risk taking, where we talked exactly about that, that, that every decision is a choice. Um, even the times when you don't take that decision and still making a choice that, 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 that's a perfect threat. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So what do you do if your manager, let me just make sure I got the right question. What do you do if your manager isn't great at giving feedback? Was that the, the question? Okay. Leah was going right to where my brain went first and foremost, which is who all are you going to, to get feedback? So your manager is obviously a really important source, especially um, because they're oftentimes the voice of what, you know, when people gather into room to talk about promotion decisions or talent calibration or anything of that nature, they're, they're going to be the ones that people are given the credit to because you, they work with you right directly and they manage you. That being said, you should never rely on one person to hold your destiny. Never rely on one person. So whatever you want to call it, your board of advisors, your board of directors, your personal, your mentors, your sponsor. But I always say it's important for you to have someone, especially if you are not used to the environment. And what I mean by is we all come from different backgrounds, walks, what our education is, the types of internships, if you have one, how we grew up, all those kinds of things. Sometimes one of the key pieces that keep hold us back from success is kind of decoding the language. And you need to have a mentor, somebody that you can go to that can help you decode what is being said to you, especially when it comes to feedback, because I've been in the Minnesota nice, I've been in the Southern nasty or whatever they call it, nice, nasty. I've been in a lot of different environments and you may take it one way if you're just unfamiliar with the way that the speak goes culturally and they mean something totally different with it. And I had that experience early in my career where I didn't know to ask somebody that, but luckily there was somebody who was nearby who heard an interaction with me and my manager and they pulled me to the side and said, Hey, like how often is that happening? I'm like, Oh, it's kind of weird to me because I keep getting this question of how are you doing more like, why are we, why is this question coming to me multiple times a day? <laughs> I don't, I've answered it. I'm telling them how I'm doing. 
Um, and they broke it down for me and said, well, that is not the question that you're being asked at all. Let me tell you what you're being asked, right? And they helped me. Well, when they ask that question, here's what they're looking for. And you need to say that. Without it, that person, I'm not sure how long this would have gone on because the manager just kept asking. My manager kept asking the same thing over and over again. So I say that because it helps with, you need someone to help you understand the culture. We talk about, you know, unwritten rules is a longstanding idea, but it's really just how work gets done, what gets done, what's in or out of what the organization likes to, or what your manager likes to, you need somebody to help you with that. You also need to know, meet with other people so that they understand your work. So even if your manager doesn't see the value in some things that you're doing, other people can often say, oh, wow, that I recognize what you're doing and how big of a deal it is that you're getting that done. So having somebody else who can be in the room be that voice wearing your t-shirt as you know you may have heard i like to call it right who can help the full organization so if your manager says well i don't know they're in the you know calibration meeting figuring out how you you know what ratings you're going to get well they've been working on this but i don't see the outcome of it or i don't see the the business results or even you know the relevancy and somebody else is there who says oh well let me help you understand what I'm seeing, it's a big deal for them to step up, right? And now there's another voice that can talk to what you're doing and how it's showing up to work. So that's great. And and that that's actually the perfect uh, segue and transition out. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the perspective. Next next week, we're gonna actually talk about mentorship, sponsorship, and allyship. And and I think that there's a perfect intersection, you know, between really, you know, that final thread that you left us with, which is you need mentors, you need sponsors, you need allies. Um, you know, you need all of those folks. And, you know, what we'll talk about more next week is, you know, the key is really understanding, like, what are those and and how do you identify the ones that are truly value added? Um, and, and so what are, what are some tips there? So, Melva, I appreciate your time. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for, for dropping these gems for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make, make, make sure that, that uh, anybody who's out there that has opportunities um, to connect with Melva directly through Pays Leadership please do that. Uh, Melvin, if you want to um, just communicate, you know, the best way to contact you, feel free to do that. But I, I just, I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mishak. And, you know, I can be found, I'm on LinkedIn, Melva Holt, the management maven um, is how you'll find management me. Management maven. All right. The management again. maven. <laughs> so, so find me on LinkedIn, find me on Instagram, um, on Facebook, Pace Leadership, P-A-I, SE, which stands for People Achieving Impactful Sustained Excellence. And so our mission in this world is to help develop exceptional mid-level managers who um, cultivate um, intentional leadership and, and build trust-filled teams. And so that's a mission that I'm really serious about out here in the world um, and helping um, really this middle really elevate overall as a whole group. So come come find me or find us at our website, www.paceleadership.com. Make sure you do a self-appraisal and give it to your manager. When you talk about making sure that somebody knows what you're doing, make sure you provide that to your manager so that they know everything that you've done and then how you view yourself. So don't miss that opportunity. Thank you so much quite the gem to drop in the end. Um, 
Thanks everybody for tuning in, both on the employee side and on the manager side. Melva, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Make sure My you visit pleasure. her website. Make sure you reach out to her directly for leadership help, because um, she is clearly very good at what she does. This was Ama Gordon and Leah Murphy. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode gave you some real gems that you can use on your own career journey. Come back for the next episode and be sure to follow us on social at Gems for the Journey on Instagram and Career Gems for the Journey on LinkedIn. You can also email us at info at gemsforthejourney.org with any questions or comments you may have.